This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host Tanishka Sodhi and joining me today is News Laundry's very own reporter Sumedha Mittal, uh, whose stories you must have seen enough to be familiar with on News Laundry. And we have with us Neerja Diyodhar, the Deputy Assistant Editor at Midday, a daily newspaper in Mumbai. Hi guys, thank you for joining us Neerja, all the way from Bombay. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. I've been a News Laundry fan for a few years now, so this is Great. Definitely very cool. How is the weather in Bombay? I hear that winter has come and gone and uh, the two days of winter has passed already. <laughs> I see that you're wearing a scarf and like a very thick sweater and uh, I'm sitting here without the fan on. I feel like that's definitely an improvement on most For years. Bombay it is definitely. This is, I mean, I'm from Bombay too. So that is our winter, right? Peak winter as it gets. The peak winter. After this, we're staring at four months of summer yeah yeah and then six months of monsoon <laughs> yes <laughs> which uh and again floods will come and midday also does a phenomenal job of city reportage as well so uh you know disasters will come and go but journalism is here to document it and question those in power uh so on that very odd note uh let's start uh Nija's story from sunday is titled right to teach uh, and it explores how college professors in india are observing a growing culture of surveillance so Meda's story, meanwhile, is about how several PSA prisoners from Kashmir have been languishing in jail despite having the detention quashed. Now, why this happens, Sumeda will tell us when we speak about her story. But let's start with Nija's story now. Uh, Nija, can you tell us um, a little bit about this trend that you have observed in your story and how many case studies you found that reflect it? So it all began with uh, the publication of the report of the Academic Freedom Index. And uh, what I observed was that this was a trend that had emerged over the last year, but it is symptomatic of issues that have been underlying for more than that. Uh, so this report is uh, released by the WEDEM Institute. Uh, according to it, in the Academic Freedom Index, India ranks at 130. And the reason why this number uh, made headlines is because we're behind our neighbors, Sri Lanka and Pakistan. But of course, um, there is more to the report than just that. According to the report, we are score on the respect given to academic freedom is 038 on a total of one. And uh, there are limitations to the report, of course, because you know it considers uh, countries with very large populations like India and China in the same way that it considers uh, countries with much uh, smaller populations. But it does um, recognize certain trends like how academic freedom has been on a downward spiral since 2009, how particularly uh, factors like uh, campus integrity and institutional autonomy have been affected since 2013. Both of these factors are about how colleges and institutions are affected by surveillance and politics outside of these institutions and how um, universities are able to shield themselves from it to be able to function autonomously to take decisions independently. So that's where it began. And uh, over the years, I've noticed that a lot of professors have been targeted in a very personal capacity. So in 2022, actually, there was one professor from uh, St. Xavier's Kolkata who was pulled up for some photographs she put up on a private Instagram account. It seems that a student had found 
student's parent had found those photographs or he observed his son looking at those photographs and she was pulled up for that. Then in June, there was a Kolhapur professor who um, had undertaken a class discussion about gender and uh, she made a point about how the perpetrators of sexual violence can come from any religion and she was targeted because of that and sent on forced leave later. Then there's the case of a Mumbai professor at an engineering institute in October who was targeted because of her choice of guest lecturer. And finally, I think the, the peg for the story was really something that happened in December, in late December. There was a law professor in Haryana who had used Bumble as part of her teaching methodology. She'd used Bumble to explain how desire and attraction works in India, given that so much of our behavior is defined by caste, by class and a number of other factors. She'd also in an email pointed out that she saw students chant Jai Shri Ram on campus. And she raised questions about whether that slogan belongs over there. In the course of a couple of weeks, um, she was targeted because uh, there's an FIR against her actually. And that's why I couldn't interview her for this story because of her FIR. She was advised not to speak to the media. The FIR is about harming the dignity of women and discriminating against students on a religious and ideological basis. If you told me 10 years ago that a teacher would be targeted and there would be an FIR against her for things she'd said in class or the pedagogy she'd use, I would find that very difficult to believe. And here the story has a slightly personal connect. Um, when I was in, in 2014, I was a student of St. Xavier's College. And uh, it's also the year that I first voted in a general election. In the wake of the election, our then principal, Father Fraser Mascarenas, had sent out an email to students, the entire student body, um, telling us to vote responsibly and in a way that he thought would be becoming of students who had just turned 18, who would be voting for the very first time in an election. So he kind of sent this email. He wasn't targeting a particular political party, he wasn't saying you should be voting for XYZ person and not this person, but there was certainly a storm caused by that. And uh, the local BJP cadre did file a complaint against him before the ECI, uh, because our college is also a government affiliated college. So there were repercussions over there. So, But I think we've traveled a very long distance between Father Fraser being able to send that email in 2014 to the Kolhapur professor who was targeted simply for saying that perpetrators of sexual violence can belong to any religion. And uh, it made me wonder also about our teachers now looking over their shoulders. Yeah, These are, of course, cases where teachers have obviously been targeted or there has been a certain repercussion to what they've said in class. But is it causing a larger culture of violence and self-censorship? And I found that that was true. Um, there were professors who came forward and spoke on the record, but I have a couple of uh, sources who I use for background who mentioned that they had started replacing Indian examples in classes of social science subjects, liberal arts, media, with examples outside of India, which would explain the same phenomena, the same concepts, because they were not sure how these Indian examples would be perceived in class. How would they be received in class? How would students respond to them? Teachers have also become very careful about the kind of guest lecturers they invite. And I mean, this is not, some of these things are not new, to be honest. A college professor or a teacher at both the undergrad and postgrad level is responsible for the student's safety, for their ability to think freely, for them to not be endangered in the class situation. So if they are going to wet a guest lecturer to make sure that that guest lecturer is not going to say something that 
you know, is going to hurt the sentiments of students who are minorities or something like that. Those things are normal. But now teachers are being very careful about what they say in class. I remember 10 years ago, um, the screening of a documentary like Anand Patwadhan's Jaibin Comrade would be part of the syllabus. Like it would be explicitly mentioned that this documentary is going to be screened. But now um, Rituparna Padgiri, who uh, is a sociologist and has five years of teaching experience, told me that her peers are scared about what they will screen right. in classrooms. I think so much of it is also it. because of uh, phones now, right? You can just record yeah. anything. And there have been so many uh, videos that have originated from the classroom, you know. So it's obviously a student uh, who has taken it and everything goes viral now when uh, it has the right amount of spice or uh, whatever they say. But I wanted to ask you, Nija, when you're speaking about targeting, um, of course, in uh, the case of the Haryana teacher, there was an FIR. But in the other cases, what is targeting? Is it backlash from the students? Is it from um, the university or college? Or is it from uh, people online once they come to know of the incident? Hmm. So I think it's a mix of all of those things. And uh, like you mentioned, the the mobile phone, I think, plays a very huge part in yeah. this censorship, surveillance, all of these issues that are coming forth. I think there was an established power dynamic in the classroom until a few years ago when the usage of mobile phones was just a discipline-related pet peeve of college professors. They tell you to focus on class. They tell you not to look at your phone, not to text in the middle of class. But now technology has become... It has changed that power dynamic. Now a teacher can be held responsible for what they say in class, regardless of what they, whether what they're saying is in violation of the college's rules, guidelines, whatever that may be. And I saw a pattern in all of these case studies where a video would be taken, the video would be uploaded to social media or passed on from you know student to student. It would end up on social media. The teacher would be named. Uh, there would be calls for her suspension or even her dismissal from the college. And then there would be pressure on the college authorities to act. I have found that uh, in some cases, students have gone directly, like the engineering institute students have gone directly to the dean or the principal and said, this happened in class, we want some action to be taken. But in a lot of cases, it is a result of these videos going viral on social media. So I do think that whoever's recording these videos knows the kind of response that will take place or the kind of um, trajectory that video will take. And uh, in terms of backlash, I think um, everything from an FIR to being sent on forced leave, we don't know that teacher has resumed. She's still listed on the uh, college's website. So I'm guessing that she is still part of the campus, but she was sent on forced leave. And uh, there are others who have gone a little silent ever since they were pulled up for taking a decision like this. I remember in the case of the Calcutta teacher, I don't think she was, uh, she was essentially let go of because then she started working in Delhi. And I think all of this also probably leads to a precedent, right? Uh, like your story mentions how um, teachers have started being apprehensive about what they screen or what they discuss outside of the textbook per se. And um, like you mentioned that um, some of them have started using examples from other countries. So uh, would this be counted as self-censorship? And if yes, what could the possible impact of this be, um, you know, on the students and uh, on the system uh, and just academic freedom in general? So I've been thinking a lot about uh, the kind of cases I haven't covered in my piece and maybe that's that will make for a good follow-up someday. I noticed that a lot of the um, cases coming forward even after the publication of my piece were not STEM courses. 
they were not STEM institutes. It was usually a liberal arts course in a STEM institute, or it was a media college, or it was a college where law was taught, like in the Haryana professor's case. And I think this boils down to the notion of open debate, critical thinking, both of which are very important to college. So I've also learned over the course of the last two weeks that um, the way pedagogy works in the undergraduate level and the postgraduate level is very different. In the undergraduate level, I think um, it's a little bit like a continuation from school. There is pressure to finish the uh, syllabus on time. There is a um, pressure to stick to deadlines, timelines, all of these for both students and the faculty. In the postgraduate level, if academic freedom is being affected, it affects the very notion of knowledge production, because that's where people uh, engage in original research. But regardless of everything, I think, so there is a, a professor and also a, a poet and author quoted in the piece called Sumana Roy. Sumana Roy pointed out that it's not self-censorship happening in a country where education is already a strengthened and boosted um, capacity building part of our country. It is a part of our country and it is an educational experience where there is rote learning. There is the hiring of teachers who are not of the best quality. So students aren't receiving an ideal kind of schooling anyway. They're not receiving uh, both because of the uh, larger systemic issues and also specific issues that may be there. Schooling and college is not ideal in India. And if you were to introduce self-censorship and surveillance to a system that's already less than ideal, students aren't going to be prompted to think critically. Yeah, and I think uh, ultimately the openness to debate question is definitely affected. Right. And in uh, liberal arts uh, courses or social sciences courses, that is at the very core, like you said, right? I mean, I think even in some undergrad courses, like mine was mass media, where our professors um, very freely discussed um, things uh, outside the syllabus. And it was a very uh, open environment where we uh, spoke of things not related to the classroom, because they also wanted us to develop critical thinking and uh, just have debates, uh, question everything, including the professors. So I, I really do understand uh, why this would be an issue, especially for non-STEM courses. And uh, Nija, you also spoke to the Indian Academic Freedom Network. Uh, what is this network and uh, what did they have to say about this growing trend? So they're a year-old network, which I also found interesting because it means that the issue is so pressing that the need for such a network came up. Uh, they are academics across India. I think you'll, you'll notice them in reports wherever any of these uh, college professors has been suspended or there's been some action taken against them. This is usually the academic body that comes forward. They are from across institutions in India who come out in solidarity of um, the professor who's been affected. And uh, they normally hold uh, meetings both online and offline. Uh, to discuss any issues that may be there. Uh, the last couple of meetings have also dealt with subjects like Israel-Palestine, you know, how it should be addressed in the classroom or uh, about other things in pedagogy. So it's a group of like-minded people who A, want to showcase solidarity in those cases where teachers have been affected, but also they discuss their issues in the classroom about the same subjects, about critical thinking, about how uh, everyday reality should be discussed in the classroom, which is quite theory-oriented. So. Those are their main concerns. And they pointed out that uh, they are seeing a complete change in the university campus, meaning that they've heard from their predecessors about how unorthodox they were and how orthodox they're having to be. So I think that change was really palpable in what 
the conversation i had with them right and uh, what about the traditional union bodies um do they have any stance on this or um are they not very open to uh, really addressing what is happening not that i've come across it's usually solidarity on a very individualized basis meaning that uh, there'll be uh, excel documents sent across or there'll be like a google form where people ex- uh, asked if they would like to express solidarity or it is groups like the indian academic freedom network who will come forth and say you know we're putting out a solidarity appeal would you like to add your name so one of my sources who i uh, spoke to for background research mentioned that one of these cases one of these case studies there was such a solidarity appeal put forth and the principal of the college in question wrote to them asking why they had circulated this to begin with so i would say that the crackdown on even showing solidarity is so strong that i'm not surprised that groups aren't up in arms yeah it's Office, a really yeah. sad state so of affairs so maybe i also covered the yeah. uh, ashoka university in ashoka. i think there was a similar trend yeah had- and the fact uh, and the point which nirja has highlighted in her story that you know like it's mostly non stem courses right. so at while i was reporting on ashoka i had also come across these events so there there was this trivedi center for political data which has been now shut down so the there is a trivedi family who was actually funding trivedi center for political data and when that political center came under attack the funds were diverted to stem courses yeah i mean i mean i have just said it i mean things are going to materialize but that was the word in, in inside the ashoka university that, that that fund is not maybe going to be used for the biomedical sciences courses so it just shows that you know yeah. like how we are cracking down on and such think, important institutions yeah. which are about liberal arts i think i mean educational institutions have either been uh, trying to be apolitical or um, showing solidarity with uh, the ruling party like i mean i think even for the uh, ram mandir inauguration a lot of colleges did have functions, functions yeah. uh, i was in goa and i saw bits <laughs> pilani have uh, flags all over yeah. outside and inside I which was a little startling to see birla institute of you know science and technology there was a uh, shobha really yatra at iit bombay which was like carried out yeah, on the same bombay day but despite iit bombay such a strong uh, ambedkar society inside the iit bombay which uh, who take up every issue who you know who coordinates right. with media like they are the most active group and despite all despite them you know these things are being carried out it's really sad state of affairs and yeah. they are going after everyone not just yeah. you know teachers or academic institutions but even students also yeah. and i think like how your story highlights nija it's like yeah. a lot of it is leading to self censorship right uh, which could be yeah. so uh, detrimental to uh, the students learning process it if is. you have to stick just to the textbook and uh, you know screenings like the whole last year i think around this time was the crackdown yeah. on the bbc documentary yeah. in a lot of parts of delhi and outside and it's become delhi a norm well. like in aligarh like while there was this one story which i did on like how 20 fir's have been lodged against over 1000 students in aligarh muslim university and all those fir's were so motor fir's but the police for the students just for protesting against those issues which don't fall in the line of the government and now the students told me that earlier they used to carry out like some 5 to 10 protests every month but now that mm. has been completely shut down yeah they said just we are so afraid to even post a tweet or you know post anything on facebook which goes against the line of the government is uh, uh, the teachers social media usage also something that is being affected um is that something you've come across as well 
uh, teacher social media usage their interactions with students over email or even in person so this was another subject that i wanted to cover you know uh, sumedha saying about the atmosphere on campus and whether students are able to screen films have conversations yeah. uh, there are a lot of um, study groups and there are a lot of reading groups that exists in colleges maybe that culture doesn't exist as much in bombay as it does in delhi but uh, i think the reason why i wanted to write this piece is that so many times in a student's life it is the teacher who begins a certain um train of thought it is the teacher who exposes them to ways of thinking that they may not be exposed to at home or otherwise and uh, a huge part of the professor's role in college is their interactions with students outside of class that's where a teacher tells you oh you know this is a uh, university you should be thinking of for your post grad course or have you considered this career trajectory and those conversations are incredible in value for students and also for teachers i mean that is how they connect with their students at the end of the day this is not a case of a teacher coming and giving lectures for whatever number of hours that is assigned to them and covering the syllabus that's of course a priority but um if teachers interactions with students uh, on social media on email in campus is being um, under the radar then that is definitely a concern but from what i can see um, so as sumana ra puts it in the piece there is still a way to explore the syllabus beyond the syllabus and teachers before them have done it teachers after them will do it and uh, shamli gupta who i also quoted in the piece talks about how there are students writing to her years later about her interventions outside the classroom and how important they were to her so students still see her as a friend so i think that is the one place where teachers can you know take control of the narrative and still impact students in the way that they wish to definitely and uh, before we uh, discuss sumeda's story i want to also ask you guys whether there has been a teacher uh, that you have uh, encountered in your uh, educational process that has really left an impact uh, nija has there been a professor or a teacher that uh, has really left a mark so i think when he was in college he was a principal of course and we saw him as you know the upholder of rules and regulations but now after having done the story i have great respect for father fraser he also stood up for stan swami uh, when stan swami was in prison and i think he had a very clear idea of his ideals and what he stood up for i think i really respect him for that now and you know there can be endless debate about what it means to impinge on a student's politics or you know a young person's politics because like you mentioned during the ram mandir uh consecration educational institutes were participating in it is that an impingement on political on a uh, student's personal life is it father phrase sending that email these things are up for debate but now in retrospect i think i really respect him definitely so me the what about you yeah many like two at acj one was our head of television nishad sir then there was shri kumar menon sir though i was in television but he was head of print he really used to help me a lot and then uh, there was this my physics professor when i was in 11th and 12th and he was like really someone who handholded me throughout those tough days yeah. of <laughs> of my board examinations what yeah. about you tanishka i think uh, many and acj too but yeah. i think there was one professor who 
Wilson College Professor uh, Sudhakar Solman Raj I don't know if you've heard of him Neeraj since you're also from Bombay mm. but um, like a familiar name yeah he is okay. uh, a legendary professor who really o- leaves an imprint and opens your mind to um, questioning everything huh. being critical he would tell us why aren't you questioning you know the fees that you're paying just question absolutely everything and we would have our discussions uh, he would get us uh, lyrics of songs and we would learn about history through music and uh, there was a very um, uh, out very different sort of uh, touch that he brought to the department uh, which was really precious and i think that's something that uh, i could see being curtailed in times like this you know so uh, it's another reason why i feel sad for the upcoming generation yeah, what definitely <laughs> uh, before we get more reflected yeah. even though i am on the i'm very tempted to speak more about our experiences yeah. sumida let's discuss your story yeah. um so it details how prisoners have been made to wait for months after this, after having their detention quashed due to jail authorities needing certain letters uh, now what are these letters and why does it take so long for jail authorities to obtain them um i don't know where to start from like, i mean i think i'm still processing this story because i mean this story came like as a shock to me okay so this story is only in respect particularly it's it's only about what's happening in kashmir because it's about the public safety act and all these people we, who are we talking about they were booked under psa booked under psa is not like uh, it's like a preventive detention which is the act only exists in kashmir so jammu and kashmir sorry so what i found was like first i found just one case it's a very high profile case i like i wish i could have talked about that case but i can't because like i mean i don't want to you know disturb anything like about his chances of coming out of the walking out of the jail so what i had found was that despite he had received quashment order from the jammu and kashmir high court in early december he has not walked out of the jail and while i was talking to his lawyer in jammu and kashmir he said that you know he has not been able to walk out of the jail because that prisoner is lodged in a jail in a central jail in uttar pradesh and the jail authorities are saying that they need clearance let clearance letters from the department a home department of jammu and kashmir and the district magistrate who had booked him under the psa so until until and unless the jail authorities receive those two letters they can't release him and it's been two months despite the court's quashment order he has not been able to walk out of the jail and this came as a surprise to me because uh, i didn't see this uh, these rules that you know prisoners needing clearances from the administration despite court's order to be able to walk out of the jail anywhere in any part so of in india so in other cases this is not the case yeah, so at I all so i started talking to other lawyers who take up psa cases and all of them said to me like i have spoken to between 5 to 10 lawyers uh, like good senior advocates in jammu and kashmir high court and they all said all of their clients who are who are booked under psa and who are lodged in jails in up or haryana it's become an ordeal for them to obtain clearances from the jammu and kashmir administration so in this story we are just questioning that when the high court has given them you know has quashed their detention and you know given the order that you know they can they can be released from the jail then why they also need clearances from the administration and specifically when this process is not laid down anywhere and this is something which ha- which two senior officials two senior bureaucrats at the jnk home department have confirmed this to me and they also said on like they didn't say this on record but off the record they also said that 
this is just a formality that we are following to ensure that they are not booked in any other cases right so i actually understand that uh, yeah. but i guess the problem is that there's so much delay right in the admin yeah. just to get that approval i get i get uh-huh. needing a letter because yeah. um what if they are booked in any other right. cases no so actually there is an argument to that as well for so i was talking to advocates like rebecca john and colin gonzalez they were telling me that uh so the the system of prison works on live warrant like any person who is lodged in that jail the jail administration they have all the details of all the cases and live warrants of that person right. so if you know like if you have been released in one particular case they have the details you know like if you are required in any other case in any other state that's right. how the whole system works and even if they have to confirm they can you know just send a letter to the district magistrate right why does it take so long why is it taking months and you know like yeah. two months or three months and in some cases six months and there was this one case in which it took 15 months just to obtain clearances and it's not even a laid down procedure that this has to be done within 3 days or 4 right. days so like, what does the procedure say and also tell us a little bit more about the uh, ps public safety act since huh. it is uh, valid it, it's only for jammu and kashmir hmm. everyone may not be aware of yeah. it so tell us about this who can be charged under this or booked under this and does it not have anything uh, in written about how many days it can take to really gain uh, a letter uh okay so the clearance letters obtaining clearances letter is just like is something which has started after the PSA act was amended in 2018 okay. which said that the jammu and kashmir prisoners can be lodged in jails outside the union territory till then they were lodged in prisons only in the uh, only in the state prisons and like this was how the rule no no this was not happening until 2018 this right. has just happened this has started happening just before the abrogation of article 370 a year before that abrogation of article 370 so until that time the prisoners were lodged in jails only in the jammu right. and kashmir and the psa is a preventive detention act like if the gov- if the state feels that you know you can be a threat to the national security so they can so they have the right to detain you so it's not like they have you know booked you any other case right. they just feel that you know you can be a threat and it's a prevent that's why it's a preventive right. detention and the jammu and kashmir uh, rti movement had filed several fias and they have come across very very impo- interesting data about which questions the psa itself and psa is like also criticized by everyone like you know so one of the rti was in 2018 which had said that there is no the administration till now has not laid out any particular rule that how people can be detained so in itself it's you know it makes the act very questionable ki aap aise kaise book kar sakte ho kisi ko bhi unless or until you don't have a proper laid down rules for it right and uh, so mean there's a case study in your story yeah. where a prisoner's family approached the court seeking compensation for uh, his alleged continued illegal dis- yeah. uh, custody uh, how did that case go in court so the family had approached the high court that you know it's been like a year and even despite the court's order he has not been released from agra central jail and the court in its order said that they are they are really shocked to learn that that how how this can happen this is a clear violation of of the rules and they had pulled up the district magistrate so actually in jammu and kashmir it's the district magistrate who books the person in, under the psa and he is the one who communicates with the jail authorities that his order has been quashed uh, his detention order has been quashed and that person can be released so the jammu and kashmir high court had summoned the district magistrate asking him to justify you know despite our order why you know why you have not been able to release him and yesterday only while i was talking to his father he literally broke down over the phone he's like you know like he's just a 25 year old boy and 
his family depends on him and he has lost 15 months and then of his like you know such imp- crucial part of his life 15 months and and he said for 15 months we were just you know running after knocking doors of all the police officers in the union territory and they were meeting the mha department officials you know just to obtain those clearances and this is the story of all those families that i have spoken to they are saying they told me that you know it's a big big task for them to just communicate with uh, the officials right. to obtain this clearance letter because there's no particular laid down rule for that right. and uh, when this did matter come up in the high court and the court did question the dm uh, does this not set a precedent then for uh, future cases did the court not say anything that no. could be really um, taken forward no nothing that's the that's the whole thing because that was the only case in which the contempt of the court was filed like the families are now just have now accepted this whole procedure of obtaining clearances letter from the administration they have accepted this as a norm right and they are like theek hai chalo even if it's taking 1 to 3 months at least a person will now at least our our family member will now be able to walk out of the jail after that and the other factor is that the lawyers were telling me that they don't want to annoy the state they are like yeah. if we'll file a contempt of the court the administration might see is you know as them being critical of the state right. so they don't want to take that risk because uh, what if the person is booked under psa again right. so they don't want to annoy the state so they are like ab do saal to nikal hi gaye jail mein do teen mahine aur nikal lete hain and uh, i mean psa is also being used like you you mentioned in your story against a lot of journalists in kashmir as well right. over the last right. few years yeah. uh, what have they their cases been like uh, have uh, there have been many journalists who've also um suffered after receiving after their attentions being quashed not been able to come out so the uh in terms of journalists um i can speak a lot like because like yeah. the lawyers have asked me to not talk about those cases a lot because you know they are still in the process of obtaining those clearance letters and they don't the families and the lawyers have told me that you know like if we'll talk about it you know then the administration is already pissed with them right. and they don't want to take that risk yeah. right now uh but in most of the journalist cases those uh journalists who were booked under the psa they were lodged in jails inside the union territory only okay, so-, so that's why they were able to you know walk out of the jail within a couple of hours right. so th- and that's that's the stark difference you know like why those prisoners who are lodged in jails in jnk th- you know they don't need those clearances letters it's right. just that it's just that the prisoners who are in mostly in up or haryana jails are the ones hmm. who need those clearance letters right that speaks a lot i think and why did you and so there was this petition who which was filed by senior advocate colin gonzalez in the supreme court that why on the first place these prisoners are lodged in jails outside the union territory because it's very difficult for the families right. to and the law for uh, and the, their lawyers to communicate about the cases yeah. with them like your family member is lodged in jail in 1800 kilometers away from your state like it's not feasible for the families to go and meet them and when they're lodged in uh, you know up in haryana jails they are they are in high security barracks there will be only one or two people in those cells and they are cut off from the world they are they've not given access to talk to their families like which is not the case when they are in jnk prisons so this is also against the right prisoners right right and all of this is happening especially when they are booked under psa like psa is so uh, infamous that you know like there was this rti data from 2019 to 2023 around uh, 
petitions have been filed in the JNK High Court challenging PSA oh, wow. and court has quashed 900 of those PSA detention right. orders. It speaks a lot. Like yeah. if the High Court has quashed 900 yeah, but then why were they in the first place? First place booked yeah, in the jail. Definitely. Um, uh, we'll get to the... Uh, yeah. There's a lot more to discuss yeah. about your story and Nirja's story. Yeah. And our viewers can uh, read the stories to... Uh, really get the gist of uh, the entire report. Uh, very detailed reports they both have done. Uh, we'll just get to the last bit of our yeah. podcast now. Uh, recommendations. So, uh, Neja, let's put you on the spot since it's your first time. Uh, anything you have to recommend to our viewers, something to watch, read, listen to, uh, go ahead. So, because we've discussed education at length today, I have a show about education to recommend. It's called Abbott Elementary. It's uh, made by uh, someone who used to be a BuzzFeed writer and now, of course, she's a showrunner. I started watching it after doing another education story for a different publication, actually. And, uh, you know, there's that sense of being let down by like infrastructure and children and communities and all of that. So when I came back, I started watching Abbott Elementary, which documents the issues with the American education system, the public school system, but it does so with humor and it really humanizes the teachers who make that education possible. Where can we watch the show, Nija? I have watched it, but for the others. I think it's on Disney Plus Hotstar. Okay, great. And okay. Sumeda, what would you I like think to recommend? my recommendation is Nija's piece on <laughs> Vikram Aditya Motwane. So no, no. I really loved Nija that piece. I didn't know like we'll be meeting in this uh, on this podcast like because I remember reading it last year only and I it's not just that I'm a Motwane fan. No, it's not because of that, but because how you have written the article. And I didn't know that Chicago Radio was started by Motwane family and how you have yeah. written about the Andolan. And I especially love the lead. Like she has written, she has, I think you've started with saying that like Motwane's office was exactly how you had imagined it to be. So I was like, wow, <laughs> like like reporters should be thinking that, that much. <laughs> I I personal uh, office within the larger Andolan office. So he named... Uh, his uh, film company after this film that his grandfather made. So his grandfather yeah. wanted to be a director and he sort of floundered in that ambition because it's also a business family so they had their priorities set. Huh. But uh, Vikram Aditya Motwani has named his company after that one debut film that his grandfather produced and his own uh, office is something of like a temple to hmm. cinema. And you have also mentioned yes, that, you know, like, I'm so sorry, this piece, this podcast is becoming about Vikram Aditya Mutwane and Nisha's <laughs> piece on that. But no, no, there's this two things I had to ask you. Like you had mentioned in that piece that uh, another reason why I found it interesting was like the impression I got was, you know, like they were big, big Congress fan because they were coming from that time. And mm. when you look in today's time, like I think Mutwane had just made, directed a movie on emergency. I think he's finding it tough to get the movie released because it hints to a lot of current political scenarios. So coming from a family which has been a big, I think, a big time Congress supporter to now making films like uh, which is critical of, you know, emergency. I think it speaks a lot about the kind of director he is. And secondly, I wanted to ask you, how was it meeting Vikram Aditya Motwane? <laughs> That's the only question. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Fan. So I think um, that uh, peace was a real education and understanding how uh, famous families, business families, families mm. with enough uh, power and influence to shape the country, yeah. uh, how they have to sometimes align with power. Huh. So there would be a time when um, the 
motwanis and the way that they were entwined with politics would have been radical right because they were trying to throw off the british yoke hmm. in the years that followed um their support of the party was more in the i mean of course it was very supportive and there is one review of andolan the film which says that it is hagiographic so there is certainly that element hmm. of support that you know goes beyond yeah. just support uh, but i think at that time uh nation building was also a priority for many business families exactly. this includes the tatas it includes many other families who have through their business potential through their industry potential uh seen it as a way of nation building so his own politics of course is a entirely different subject but i don't think he is uh an inheritor of his uh family's legacy in that sense mm. there is definitely chicago radio in the way in which it connected different parts of india to each other and that also is very, very radical but uh, i think he, his own filmmaking has the politics in his filmmaking is entirely different and uh, actually jubilee a lot of so when i was watching jubilee i was reminded of a lot of the things that he said uh, in our interviews i think i interviewed him four times for that piece or wow. more than that perhaps <laughs> yeah, yeah and my screen this piece was too long and he uh, shifted a sound recording uh, session to talk to me which i was very grateful for he was very forthcoming with details i think in a in a piece like this there is the danger of uh, empathizing too much with your subject yeah but the thing is that he was so forthcoming with details about how andolan was a flop actually mm-hmm. and that is highlighted in the piece Pretty yeah, yeah. it didn't do well which is why the grandfather i think gave up his ambitions he looks at his own so he thinks of himself as the family's biographer as like an archivist for the family so he sees his own family history with an objectivity that makes your job as a reporter very easy wow must read this piece yeah it is it is a must read <laughs> i will definitely check What's it out what's your recommendation danishka i would like to recommend merry christmas uh, yeah. i don't know if you guys have watched I it have, i have i have watched it loved it same and i think a lot of people have not really embraced it as a bollywood movie and aren't really going to watch it so it's a great uh, indian mystery thriller starring uh, the unlikely duo of katrina kaif and vijay setupati <laughs> but it's a, an absolutely amazing movie from the makers of uh, andhadhun uh, sri ram raghavan Ra- sri so, ram raghavan yes so people who do follow his work more than uh, i do yeah. were very sure it would be an no, amazing I movie i think i like i have not watched sri ram's previous work okay. like ek hasina thi on all of those movies but yeah. like the recent works I'm yeah sure. i've just watched andhadhun but this yeah. movie was uh, really really nice and wow. I, it's going to come out on netflix soon but and i think the uh, theater experience of watching this uh, thriller that is also light enough but uh, still keep you at the edge of your seats is really wonderful yeah. and i love how it showcases bombay as well so yeah. uh, and i know you probably <laughs> do as well so no uh, yeah. i got a slight peek into 80s or i think 90s yeah. bombay yeah when it was Thanks. called bombay that was uh, okay. how they described uh, the time i was <laughs> like it's yeah. a big relief to watch movies like this especially in a time when it's all about like the movie is only about war mongering and hyper nationalism exactly why this made. movie really stands out and i hope more huh. people catch it while it's still in the yeah. theaters shows have been uh, reducing so uh, do watch it guys if you haven't already and uh, on that note uh, we will wind up the discussions but do check out neerja and sumedha's piece the links will be available Uh, on the show notes of this podcast and with that this podcast is adjourned news laundry is possible because of our paying subscribers we don't run on corporate or government ads you too can be part of changing the news model go to newslaundry.com/subscription be a part of the community that pays to keep news independent for the smoothest news laundry experience download our app 
watch our shows, listen to our podcasts, read our reports, stay informed, pay for news, protect democracy, save the world.